Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. verses 1 to 12. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed, He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, So far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is the word of the Lord. So we are um, at the last message on this series on forgiveness. If you're just kind of jumping in with us, we've been taking six weeks to go through this. But for those of you that have that have been here on this journey, how many of you is this is the longest you've ever thought about or heard sermons on forgiveness in a row? I'm I'm in that group. Um, It's it's one of those things where on one level. People, if they came to our church, like, why are you guys talking so much? Like, aren't you Christians? Like, aren't you, aren't you just supposed to do this? <laughs> uh, why do you have to t- spend six weeks on it? But uh, if you're anything like me, as you've kind of tried to, I've used this analogy before, just peel the layers of this onion, you realize, man, this is a complex issue, this matter of forgiveness. It actually takes time, and the longer I think about it, the more questions I have. And in fact, now I'm thinking, just six weeks? Like, I got all kinds of questions. And the truth is, it's a journey. And But hopefully what we've been doing over the last six weeks is, I guess, causing us to be more um, honest and reflective about the things that are really going on in our lives and what it actually means to have an authentic and free relationship with God and each other. Uh, most of the, of the previous five weeks, we have dealt with the issue of um, forgiving others. And we've talked about, you know, um, the fact that this comes from the basis of God forgiving us. But a lot of the things we've talked about, both kind of in terms of what the scriptures say and also practically how that works out in your life and my life has to do with forgiving others. But maybe there's two, and I I know there's two other questions that have come up because some of you have been asking me, hey, are we going to deal with this? And we're actually going to deal with those today, which I think actually will, in a sense, close uh, off, in a sense, this journey that we've been on. And the two questions are this, what about forgiving ourselves? Um, you know, like, what if, what if you know, I'm, I know I'm supposed to be free and that God forgives me, but what if I don't feel forgiven? What if I have things that just kind of keep coming up where I feel guilty or I feel terrible about myself or maybe other people keep reminding me about the things I've done so I have a hard time, in a sense, uh, letting myself off the hook or forgiveness? What, what about that? And then the other one, maybe even more provocative of a question, what about forgiving God? Now, you may say, well, God doesn't do any wrong, and that's true. The scriptures say that all of God's ways are good and just, and in fact, we've been singing about that, right? Like about the goodness of God. And yet, 
if you're anything like me, and I've had conversations with people as you've been journeying through the things in your life, and especially as we uh, kind of talked about stuff that's happened to you as you were younger, or in the family, or things that you felt or you never saw coming, and relationships that took a turn, or things that happened to you when you weren't in control of what was happening uh, in, a, in, a, in a marriage, or in a family, or whatever, in a work situation, and if you're a Christian, you're a, you're a believer in a God who is sovereign and loving, then you might say, well, God, why did you allow this to happen? Like, why am I even having to deal with this? Like, it doesn't seem like everybody does. I'm having to deal with stuff that other people haven't had to deal with. And so if we're honest, many of us, in fact, many of us uh, ha- have kind of just walked away from church or faith in general because we had this kind of anger towards God. And maybe we didn't say it out loud, but we kind of know that's not like socially acceptable or maybe it wasn't socially acceptable in your family or your church to even talk about that kind of stuff. Or maybe some of you are just kind of outright with it. And I, I have good friends who would never darken the doors of a church no matter how much they love me and trust me. They'll, if I invite them, I'll come. They'll never come because they're angry with God about things that, it ha- that has happened in their lives. And so then we think, well, I don't know what to do with this because now I've got this angst in my relationship with God. And so maybe those are two, and I think probably two others, if we can call this uh, areas of forgiveness. When we talk about forgiveness, it kind of includes these three questions. Again, these are problematic in a sense because, like I said, we're we're Christians. And, And, you know, one of the worst things about being a pastor is people just think that that means you're a nice person or that you should be nicer than everyone else, which hopefully those of you that know me know that's not true, so that bubble has been burst. But, um, right, like there's people in your life who think, oh, you go to church, oh, you're a good person. And that's what they think, or you're nice, or you're kind, or at least you should be, like what's wrong with you? Sometimes people are frustrated at Christians or people of faith or the church because they think, well, you're supposed to, aren't you supposed to be nice? Like, why are you dealing with this? And this can actually create questions in ourselves going, yeah, why do I have this issue with forgiveness? Why is this taking me so long? I believe in God, You know, I I believe in God, so what's the problem? Well, here's the thing. When it comes to forgiveness, or if you're stuck in an area of any one of these questions, whether it's forgiving others or forgiving yourself, forgiving God, it's not enough to believe in God. We actually have to believe God. Believing in God is not a prerequisite for anything in your life. Satan believes in God, and he has forgiveness issues. He has issues in general. Tweet that. That's what my pastor said, very quotable. Satan has issues. He's been angry at God since the beginning of time. He believes in God. It has not helped him at all sort through his forgiveness issues or any issues. So it's actually not enough for us to believe in God. The question is, do you believe God? In other words, at the root of every issue of unforgiveness or everything we struggle with when it comes to forgiving other people or forgiving ourselves or dealing with frustration we may have towards God because he has allowed these things, it is a fundamentally a trust issue. And it's not a trust issue in relation to how you trust other people. It's do I trust God? Do I actually believe God? God. In other words, do I believe what he says? Do I believe who he is? Believing in his existence is the beginning point. But if all I do is believe in God, I'm stuck in an issue of forgiveness. I actually have to move to believing God. Do I believe what he says? Do I believe who he is? Fundamentally, do I trust him? Let's take, for example, the question we have been talking about most, which is, okay, how do I forgive other people? And and we've been talking about how, okay, you know, Mark began the whole series saying forgiveness is actually, um, you know, not being debt collectors. 
right, that every time somebody wrongs us, it in a sense creates this owing thing where they have created a debt where somehow we want them to pay or repay. And most of the things that are done to us, you know, in a sense can't be repaid or taken back. And so what we want in that moment is for that person to pay. And we said, look, forgiveness, the beginning point of forgiveness is actually saying, okay, you know what? I'm not even going to try to exact a sorry out of you because even that is me trying to get payment for you to acknowledge what you've done. If I'm really going to move on and be free, I need to release you of repayment. Now, if that's what forgiveness is, what is it, like, believing in God, is that enough to do that? Because that's a big deal, right, to actually let it go and not just move on and pretend and try to pretend we don't feel, but actually say, you know what, this is what happened when we talked about actually counting the cost of what's happened to us, acknowledging what's happened. But then to be able to let it go, what do I need to believe I need to believe that God is just, that he's good. Because, and one of the questions that came out when I was at Connection, we were doing Q&A, and someone said, like, okay, but d- if I have to let a debt go, doesn't that, I, I kind of feel like I'm the loser in the end. That in a sense that I'm going to just be a victim or allow that person to have just done what they've done, and no one's going to hold them accountable, and I'm just left with a wound or a debt. Right? Like, that's the feeling we have. Let's be honest, right? Can I... Well, if I'm struggling to let that go, what am I struggling to believe? That God is just, that he's a judge, that he sees everything, and he will make all things right better than I could, better than any divorce lawyer could, better than any court of justice, better than anybody else could could mediate justice. God is the ultimate judge, and if you read in the book of Revelation, it actually describes Jesus when he returns. The first thing he will do is judge all that has been done on the earth. He's the only one fit to judge. If I am struggling to let go of the debt that I so want to be repaid for, I am struggling to believe that God will judge rightly. And I'm struggling to believe that my heart could actually be free. Right? Because if I let go, and some of us, if we've held on to things for a long time, they've become like clothes that we wear. Like the pain that we have experienced is like the clothes we put on every day, and we live every day in front of that pain. The idea of actually letting that go is scary. Do I believe that God will catch me when I fall? That if I finally say, Okay, this happened to me. I'm not even going to look for an I'm sorry anymore. I need to just let this go. Will you hold me? Will you keep me together? If I stop grasping this person's neck, you know, figuratively or literally, like, will you catch me? Will you hold me? Will you protect this heart from just bleeding for the rest of my life? Right? In that moment, it's not about believing in God. It's about believing him, who he is what he will do, and all, you know, we said his promise is sure, my God will come through always. That's what I'm struggling to believe if I'm struggling to forgive. You get that? So then when it comes to forgiving ourselves, right, the issues of guilt and shame, regret, whether it was a season in our lives that we look back on now and go, what do I do? Or that, that conversation where we just said that one thing that we can't take back. Maybe decisions that we made. And we are struggling to actually feel free. And we try, but we can't move on. And you know what our culture says? That actually there is such a thing as self-forgiveness. You can forgive yourself. You know, just think better about yourself. Hey, we all make mistakes, right? Just move on. But as I've said to you before, 
a mistake is something you didn't know. You didn't, like a mistake is something you forgot to carry the one. You know, you forgot to you forgot to do that. A mistake is you left the gate open and the dog got out. What do you call something that you know is wrong that you know will hurt other people and you plan ahead of time to do it and you do it anyway, even though it's the tenth time you said you'd never do it again? Is that a mistake? That's some other category. And so if I really deal with that and think, okay, well. I'm not just a mistaker in need of correction. I can just try to move on or try to be better. Hey, everybody, nobody's perfect. No, because you know why we can't forgive ourselves? Because we know what we've done. And sometimes we know more than anyone else what we've done. That's why you can't forgive yourself because you can't let you off the hook because you didn't sin against you. You sinned against God. You sinned against other people. And in some cases, it's actually hard to let it go because maybe the other person won't forgive us. Maybe we've tried to, to ask for forgiveness, to, to, to try to reconcile the relationship, and they don't want any part of it. They're like, what you did, you did. No going back. You can't take it back. And every time you try, they just remind you of what you said. They remind you of what you did, maybe in overt ways or maybe just little jabs every so often. Oh, I'm just joking, but you know they're not. It's actually not a matter of self-forgiveness a trust issue. In the moment of not being able to let myself go, what is it that I need to believe that I'm not believing? It's this. Serena read it for you. Psalm 103, 10 to 12. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Listen to this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, if you and I are struggling with the guilt of what we've done and we've confessed and we've tried and we've tried to make it right with the person, our family, our spouse or whatever, and we're still feeling guilty and we're still feeling ashamed, we're still feeling regret, we're still living in the past, in that moment, what you and I need to believe is this, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I want to illustrate this for you. I'm directionally challenged, okay? So which is that, what way is that? That's north? That's east? <laughs> this has to work out. Come on. Is that east or west? One of them. It's south. Okay, which, let's do this. What's that then? East. Okay, so stand up. Can you stand up? Just humor me. You're good Canadians. You're all doing it, but you say, well, why is he making a stand up? Okay, okay so that's, that's east. I want you to turn around 180 and face east. Now stare at east, okay? You are looking at east. Can you see west right now? Can you see it at all? It is completely removed from your sight, isn't it? When you are looking east, you cannot be looking west. When God looks at you, if he has removed your sins as far as the east is from the west, then when he looks at you, he does not see your sin. You get it? It's not just beside you. It's not written on your forehead. It's not written on your face. Your clothes aren't stained with the blood of what you've done. When God looks at you, he says, when I'm looking east, I cannot look west. I cannot see what you have done any longer. Okay, now you can turn around and sit down. 
See, we, we say, oh, forgive and forget. Well, how could God forget? I can't forget. No one's forgetting. It's, it's not so much about forgetting, it's about removing so that when I see you, I don't see that sin anymore. See, some of us look in the mirror and we are, in a sense, reminded or others are reminding us, but we need to remember and believe God that what he said is true. My, your promise is true. My God will come through always. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed my sins from me. So when he's looking east, he cannot be looking west. When he sees my face, he does not see my sin. At this point, you erupt in amen. Yes! Friends, this is what we need to believe. It's not about self-forgiveness. It's a trust issue. Do I believe your word is true? Do I believe your promise is true that you don't see me that way? How do we know that's true? Because we look at the cross over and over and over. See, the cross isn't this one thing at one point in your spiritual journey where you came to realize that God had forgiven you and then you grow up and move on and now you're just a better person. No, the cross is this thing. Remember I talked about having a well-worn path to the cross every day where what do we see on the cross? We see our sin on Jesus. He placed what we had done on him so that when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. In the Old Testament, when God was gathering his people together, you know, they had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and he brought them together, and, and in the book of Leviticus, he gives them all these laws. It's a painful read, I know, but he was, he was teaching them as a people who had never known how to live as free people. All of this stuff was actually teaching them how to live. And one of the things they were supposed to do is they brought, it was sort of an animal sacrificial system. Thank goodness we don't do that. Like, way more mess up here than sticky floors, okay? Um, we don't do that anymore. We don't kill animals to sacrifice. But it was, a, it was a symbolic way of helping them understand what we all know. When somebody does something wrong, somebody's head's got to roll. <laughs> we all know that. And they would, in one case, they would bring um, two goats. And one of the goats would be killed. And the other one, the priest would put his hand on the head of this goat and he would, in a sense, pray or like all the sins that the people of Israel had confessed were on this goat. And then one dude had the job of taking this goat outside of the city and letting the goat go free. It was the scapegoat. That's where we get that term from. What's the scapegoat? Someone who wasn't guilty taking the blame for everyone else. The scapegoat, right? That was actually symbolic of, of God in a sense saying, I am removing your sins. And they had to go outside the camp away and the goat never returned. In a sense, their sins were being sent away from them, just as it says in Psalm 103. It was being removed from them. But we know, actually, the scriptures say, how could the blood of animals actually take away sins? It can't. So Jesus became the scapegoat for us. On him, the scriptures say, were placed all of our sins and he was marked up, in a sense, with, in a sense, the blood of our sin. It says he carried the cross, right, outside the city, went outside to Golgotha. Golgotha was actually outside of Jerusalem. He had to leave the camp. He had to leave the people. He was removed, in a sense, and it's, Isaiah says he was cut off. It's this idea that God in Christ has removed your sin completely from you. So when you see Jesus, when you see the empty cross, it's sometimes there, I keep referring to it. It's on our things, it's everywhere, right? That's why it's in every church. It means everything to us. On Jesus was placed all of your sins, and so when you look at Jesus, your sin was placed on him. When God looks at you, he doesn't see it anymore. That's how it works. 
when we are struggling to forgive ourselves, the issue isn't just moving on or having better self-esteem. It's not a self-esteem issue, it's a trust issue. Do I believe that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed that on Jesus was placed the sin, so when he's looking west, he's not looking east. Same with forgiving God. When it comes to forgiving God, you know, in a sense, we, we can't forgive God, right? That's, that's, he doesn't do anything wrong, but what do we do with the frustration and the, the questions that we may have? God, why did you allow this to happen? You know, even maybe for some of you, these, these last five weeks have been really difficult because it's just raised more questions. And maybe you've gone back to look at some things that you haven't looked at in a long time. And, and that's important because we can't be blind to those things and we don't just move on from them. They come with us into our workplaces, into our marriage. They, they come with us. But maybe that's just been difficult because it's been raising more questions saying, God, well, why did you allow this to happen? Or why, you know, why didn't, why wasn't I rescued in that moment? Why did it have to be this way? Why did my path and my trajectory go this way? Wasn't there another way? It seems like there was for other people. Why this way? There's questions in our heart, God, why did my path have to unfold this way? And then there's questions going, God, why does it seem like I was alone in that? Why does it seem like you were distant or I was abandoned in that stage of life? Some of us, I know you get even uncomfortable with me raising these questions, but many of us have them. And what do we do with them? I think one thing we have to know, and which actually is good news and comfort for us as a church, is when we come together with these questions, right? And maybe you have them for yourself or you have them for other people that you're walking alongside. You know, as you begin to take on the pain of others, as you walk with them, you say, God, why? Why would this path have unfolded this? Why couldn't there have been another way? Or why did it seem you were far off? Even, you know, David says that in the Psalms, and writes, God, why do you seem far off, away? Why doesn't it seem like you're quick to say, the one thing we can say as the people of God is God is big enough to ask these questions. That what we have is a real faith. It's not a pretend faith where we just come in here and pretend everything's fine and say everything's okay and yet our lives are in chaos. It's like, no, all our songs and so goes, chaos surrounds me, troubles overwhelm me. It's true, it's real. I'm trying to gut this out. Faith isn't this happy feeling that somehow everything will work out okay. It is a trust issue. And what we know, again, as we look to the cross, because, you know, Jesus, in a sense, on the cross is always shaping our minds and our hearts and how do we think about these things. What do we see? If some of you know the story of Jesus as he journeyed to the cross the night before, and he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says he was praying by himself, in a sense, like clawing at the dirt. And it said he was, he was so under distress that it, he, it, it says like sweat, like drops of blood. Were, I don't know whether that was figurative language by the gospel writers or whether it was something going on in his body. And what was he begging God for in that moment? Another way, right? God, isn't there another way than this? Why did it have to be this way? He was saying, why is there not another way? I don't want to go down this road. This is too much for me to bear. Can there not be another way than this? It's an honest prayer that you and I pray, that we can pray, that the cross tells us was prayed by the one who was most obedient to God. See, obedience to God when we see Jesus is not this blind, okay, whatever, it was a dragging his fingers in the ground, begging God for another way, and yet what did he say? Okay, but if not, not my will, but your will. 
And then 12 hours later, on the cross, yes, being obedient still, but yet what did he cry out in that moment? My God, why have you forsaken me? He expressed the same cry that we have. God, why did it seem, why does it seem you are far off? Why does it seem that in this very moment, my greatest moment of need, you have abandoned me? And yet just before he died, he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. They were expressions of trust, right? Not blind obedience, not if I do God's way, everything will be happy for me. But in that moment, saying, okay, I wish there was another way. But if there can't be another way, I trust your way. I feel like you have abandoned me, but still, even in the moment when I don't feel you close, I will trust that you are the one who holds my life in your hands. Into your hands, I will commit my life. They are expressions of trust. See, our anger and stuff and our angst towards God is not a forgiveness issue, it's a trust issue. And what is it in those moments as Jesus was kind of clawing at the dirt and, and expressing the cries of abandonment on the cross, what is it that he believed that you and I are called to believe in those moments? The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome these words that I believe are the things that we need to believe. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. In which things? All things. Say it like you mean it. All things. When you and I look at the cross, it is a reminder to us that God can even use that thing for our good. See, even the intense suffering of Jesus and his willingness to submit to that actually brought you and I freedom, right? His pain his journey, his sacrifice brought you and I life. And so it is a forever reminder for us because we live in a culture that believes all pain is pointless. We want to avoid it. We think nothing good can come from it. We're angry at God or other people when we have to go through it because we think what, what point, what good can come of this? And the cross reminds us every time we turn to it, yes, 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 God can use even that thing. He can use all things for my good because he used that for my good so he can even use this for my good. It's not blind obedience, friends, but is it, a is it, it is a rehearsing and a remembering and believing God that you are able to use all things, even this thing, for my good. And look what Paul says when he goes on in that chapter in verse 32. Why can he say that? He said, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. The cross is a reminder that God can be trusted. And you see, Jesus, you know, he, and he gave his Sermon on the Mount. He was talking to people who were, who were subsistence livers and saying, you know, like they, 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 had to, they, they ate whatever they could grow, and if they didn't get rain, they couldn't, they couldn't eat. And he was saying, don't worry, you know, trust God. But Jesus didn't just tell us to trust God. He showed us how to trust God. The cross is actually the demonstration of what it looks like for a life to submit themselves completely into the hands of a God who can be trusted. The cross actually shows us God will come through. And it actually says that Jesus, because he knew what was on the other side of the cross, the resurrection, 
that he was able to go through it. And we don't say, oh, well, he knew everything was going to work out. No, he was clawing at the dirt saying, God, I wish there was another way. He was crying out in pain and the feeling of abandonment saying, you have left me in my greatest hour of need. And yet the scriptures say he knew what was on the other side, so he trusted God. See, friends, the, the issues of forgiveness that you and I need to wrestle through in our lives, fundamentally, if we are stuck or if we are going to grow in these things, they are not issues of whether we believe in God, but do we believe him? Do I trust him? Not blind trust, not blind obedience, but a constant rehearsing of the things that I know he has said. That somehow, I don't know how, but I trust that somehow, he will work even this for my good. Because the scriptures say he works all things for our good. That because he didn't spare his own son, the cross is the reminder to us that God is faithful. Like if he's even given us his own son, would he really hold back from you what is best? If he gave you his best, the scriptures say everything else comes with it because God has spared nothing from you. And so in those moments when you feel like God was ab abandoned you in that moment and he didn't give you what you need or isn't coming through for you in this place or somehow allowed this to say, no, God, who didn't spare his own son, if he gave us his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He can be trusted. This is the faith that you and I say we have. It's not perfect. It's not bulletproof. It's not always happy every day, never feel a thing, can't touch me. It's real in the middle of the garden in our times of abandonment, and yet we say, into your hands still I commit my spirit, yet not my will but yours. I will trust you. Every time, that's why one person said, you know, for every one look at our own sin, we take 10 looks at the cross. For every one look at issues of forgiveness, we come back to the cross over and over. It reminds us Jesus on the cross shows us how to trust God. And so what does that mean for us? I think it means that if, if we realize, if you've realized through this series that you're struggling with issues of forgiveness, whether towards other people or how you're feeling about yourself and guilt and whatever, shame, regret, or angst towards God, frustration, unanswered questions, it's a trust issue. One story when Jesus was beginning to teach people and, and, and he was doing miracles and he was saying things that were blowing people's minds and they were starting to want to believe in him. One person came up to him and said, Lord, I want to believe, help my unbelief. That's one of the most beautiful prayers, right? I want to believe, but I'm struggling to believe. I need to believe, I know this is true, but my heart can't quite get there, so can you help me believe? What a beautiful prayer. That God is that kind of God that doesn't demand blind obedience from us, but even helps us in our unbelief to really believe him. And so here's a one-liner I put for you. And in a card in your bulletin, we put all of the kind of one-liners from the last six weeks. To give and receive, help me really believe. Like if, if I'm going to give forgiveness, I'm going to receive it. I need to believe you. I need to believe that you are the just and merciful judge. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, God is perfect in all of his ways. If I'm actually going to let people off the hook, if I'm going to count the cost of what they've done, if I'm not going to collect debt, then I need to believe that he is the perfect, righteous, merciful judge. 
If I'm going to really be free in myself and not struggle with guilt and shame and regret, then I have to believe what that, that it's true about you, what Psalm 103 says, that you have completely taken away my sin. And if I'm struggling with frustration or anger towards you because I don't know why you would have let things happen in that moment, I need to believe, I need to remember, help me believe, God, that you can even work out this for my good. This that I just wish would go away. This would I, that I would change if I had the power. This that I would go back in time if I could do something about. Help me believe that you can use even this for my good. Help me believe. These are bold prayers for the church to pray. But you know what happens? You begin to pray this. Trust is a contagious thing in your life. Right? Like as you grow in your ability to trust God, to believe him, not just believe in him, it actually begins to spread to every area of your life. Today, we're gonna take communion now together. The band's gonna lead us in response, and Tony and the elders are gonna serve us. And as you come to take communion, this morning, I would just encourage you to take it. And as you receive it, just pray this, Lord, help me believe. Like these, these things, these are symbols. These are reminders of everything that we've just been talking about. And so I'm taking it, but actually just as I take this bread into the center of my being, as I like actually ingest it, help me to believe. Help this to be something in here. Not just something here or something out there. So as you take this morning, just even you can even say that out loud when you take it. Lord, help me believe. Maybe just if you want to, you can uh, turn your hands up just to receive from God this benediction. That if God has given you the dearest thing to his heart, if he has not held back from you even his son, that you might have a renewed faith to believe that he's holding nothing back from you. And that in time, one day, whether it's in this life or the life to come, you will be able to turn back and say, God, you have done all things well. You just received that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.